Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Thank you, Noah, praise team, band, orchestra, and congregation for singing this morning. It's good to sing praises to our God. This morning we're looking at the gift of hope, Christmas gifts. Some people take their Christmas gifts pretty seriously. Some of you have been buying Christmas gifts almost all year long. You're, you're serious about it. I was trying to think about how to avoid giving the wrong gift at Christmas and just Googled some of the suggestions for what that might look like. And I was surprised at the articles that were there on making sure you give the right Christmas gift. And one article was entitled, 25 Worst Christmas Gifts, How to Offend Everyone on Your List. (laughs) I'll let you figure out what those 25 were. Another article, it was 31 Gifts You Should Never Give. You Don't Want to Find Yourself Guilty of These Present Day Sins. I thought it was interesting, giving the wrong gift. I mean, in that article, is equivalent of sinning in some kind of way. If you struggle with gift giving... um, These articles could be helpful. I I, I was trying to read the 25 and the 31, and there were some in common. But I I did think, especially I chuckled at one in particular to avoid, and that was the sweat-absorbing armpit pads. That's probably not a good gift. And some mornings I think I probably need that, but you don't need to give me that gift. I, I think I'm okay right now. Obviously, there are a lot of the wrong ways to give. give. As we look at our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, in part, Advent is a celebration of Christ's coming. When he came, he brought just the right gifts. He knew exactly what we needed. God had a plan all along, and even as Luke gives us the details surrounding Jesus' birth, we begin to see the difference that he makes. We begin to see how he fulfills every need that we have. It's so easy in life to begin to look around and try to find all of our needs met in so many different ways. We look to people. We look to things. We look to gratify the flesh. So many ways we look to meet our needs. But Jesus, he is the living hope. He's the hope for every generation. And he's the hope for all eternity. Let's think for a minute about what hope is. Hope is confident expectations. The certainty of and the joy that we have about the future. In some ways, it's related and similar to faith. It's not exactly the same. There's there's some nuances there. But faith is trust and belief. It's almost an intellectual assent. We have faith. We believe. Whereas hope is more of an emotional assent. It's an assurance GotQuestions.org makes the distinction by giving an example of a child who when this child is told by his dad they're going to an amusement park, he has faith, he trusts his dad, he believes what his dad says, but there's this joyful hope of anticipation that they're actually going to go on the next day. Hope. It's an emotionally sent. It's a joyful belief of what's happening in the future. So let's look at our text. The first point I want you to see in Luke chapter 1 is hope is found 
in the plan of God. Look with me in verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, already described in the first part of chapter 1, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In Luke's account, he stresses the fact that Jesus is the Son of Man. He stresses his humanity. John is going to stress his deity. So we see the perfect God, but also the perfect man in Jesus Christ. And God is unveiling his plan, and Luke set out to write this orderly account of how God came in the flesh. God the Son came in the flesh. His incarnation, what we celebrate about Christmas. The biblical times, though, weren't magical in a sense that it's different than the day. They, they weren't mythical in the fact that they really didn't happen. This is not a man-made story, but it's historical. Luke is a historian who's writing real-life events that happened. And as we see this plan of God unfold, there are real people involved. Think about Mary and Joseph. We get their names in these first couple of verses. Here here is an engaged couple who has their life before them. They're excited. They're looking forward to their wedding day. They've had this uh, arranged marriage for this time period, and they have all these expectations. No doubt Joseph is anticipating having the family business and carpentry, and he's going to make a lot of money. He's going to provide well for his family. And I mean, you can just imagine all the dreams and the aspirations of this young couple as they're excited about getting married. These are, these are real people. These are real places. He speaks of a city named Nazareth. Not a very well-known city, one that maybe others would not have been as familiar with in the day. As a matter of fact, later on we hear someone say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it's, it's, but it's a real place. That's where they were from. That's where they lived. And one day Jesus would go back there and be raised in Nazareth after his birth. These are real people. These are real places. And there's a lot of anticipation that's happening in this time period because they're facing real problems. When we get to the end of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, uh, even as the prophet is writing, there's, there's an expectation, as in all the prophets, that there's a Messiah that's coming. There's a promised king who will deliver the Israelites who have been overtaken, and they were not in a good spot. And so for 400 years from the last uh, recorded events in the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And you can imagine the people were thinking, man, nothing's going to change. This is, this is the way life is just going to be. We, we have no hope. But yet those words of the prophets continued to ring out. And there was a group in Israel, they were looking for this promised Messiah that really is spoken of from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And the time has arrived. They're facing a lot of problems Uh, in the particular time, not only because of the silence, but because of the opposition that they faced. 
And even this couple, they're getting ready to see their dream die. What they had hoped for, what they had anticipated, it's all going to change. It's not what they were going to, what they had always thought it was going to be. And I would say to you that nobody gets their dream. <laughs> Nobody's life turns out like they grew up thinking this is going to be, this is, all, this is how it's going to happen. Now, dreamlike lives happen. I'm not saying good things don't happen and maybe things that were beyond our expectation. But in these moments, what they're learning and what they're going to be finding out their life is going to change dramatically. And for all of Israel, it had been tough for them. For Mary and Joseph, they were going to be misunderstood. Here's a woman who's going to be pregnant outside of uh, the wedding, before the wedding. They're going to travel for a census. There are crowds that are going to be everywhere so that there's no place for them. And they lay their newborn baby in this manger. But God is in all of those details. In the middle of it, it might not appear that way, but even as the scriptures are written and we look back, we see all the details were just in place like God had planned. And many times in our lives, in the middle of it, we don't see that plan being worked out. But when we look back, we see all the details of what God was doing. Maybe this morning you're in a place in your life where you're not quite sure what God is doing. You're wondering, is he at work? Is there an answer? Is there hope for this particular situation? I would say to you, hope is found in the plan of God. God has a plan no matter who you are, where you are, or what you might be facing. Think with me as we look a little further into our text. Hope is also found in the promises of God. Notice down in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, as it relates to the promises of God, we see first his work in people. What he had been doing to prepare Mary for this time. He, he said, the Lord is with you. So God's presence makes the biggest difference in our lives. Sometimes when I'm praying for people, especially when they're going through difficult times, this is one of these things that I pray for. God, may they just know how close you are to them. May they recognize your presence in the midst of their problems. May they see you because your presence makes all the difference in the world. And Mary is being assured in this. The Lord is with you. And if you're in the family of God, let me say that to you this morning. The Lord is with you. He's not left. Emotionally, you might be at a place where you're wondering, where you don't feel it, where, where you don't see it. And sometimes it's just good to be reminded, the Lord's with you. He's not gone anywhere. He is still right in the midst of your life. Another thing I, I, I really like about this text is what it says about or, or what the angel says to Mary in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I'll say to you again, if you're in the family of God, the favor of God is with you. You have the Son. He's paid the price for your sin. God has forgiven you. 
He has adopted you into his family. Not only has he forgiven you, but he's given you the free gift of salvation. And he's given you his spirit to live in you and to lead you and to guide you and to help you in this life. The Lord's favor. There's nothing greater than the Lord's favor in your life. His hand on you. Again, another really good thing to pray as you're praying for people. Not only do would people recognize the presence of God, but that they would see the favor of God on their lives. And God has been preparing Mary for, for this particular time, this assignment that he was giving her. Now, think about his word to her. You see the, his work in his people. Now, how about his word to his people? Look in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. First God was telling Mary what would happen to her. You will. In some ways for me I I see the human responsibility. You will. God's going to do this work in her he's giving her this promise but you know Mary she could have said God no thanks she was being given an opportunity to be a part of what God was doing and we'll see at the end that what what she says in response but but for now I just want you to see there's human responsibility here God is using a human being And God gives us choices. God gives us opportunities. God gives us uh, assignments to be a part of what he's doing. And in this text, God reveals human responsibility. Mary had a wonderful opportunity to be used by God. Was it going to cost her something? Not, Not financially, but emotionally. Her dreams, all that... Maybe she would have anticipated it's going to cost her everything. It's going to cost her everything. And to be a part of what God's doing, sometimes we like to keep one foot over here and, and, and one foot over here, maybe one foot in the world and one foot doing what God wants us to do and because we're afraid of what it's going to cost us if we totally surrender everything. We're not quite sure we want to pay that huge of a price. And God's calling us to say there's so much more to life than the world has to offer. There's there's this human responsibility. You you will, you shall. He uses people to do his work, but, but then there is the divine sovereignty here. He will be great. Verse 32, she's gonna conceive this child, this son. She's going to call his name Jesus. That's her opportunity. But do you see the divine sovereignty, what God, is, what God is doing? This son, Jesus, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He is the promised one that is spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, that's real hope. That's not temporary. That's, that's not maybe. That's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. Divine sovereignty. God has a plan. Now, Mary didn't have to be a part of it. God, God could have used someone else. 
but God called her. Mary responded. You see the human responsibility. You see the divine sovereignty. I love the tension there. I I think that's the kind of thing that blows our mind, doesn't it? God's in charge. God's going to do what God's going to do. And yet people make decisions and have opportunities and assignments that can be obedient or disobedient. It's not easy to put divine sovereignty and human responsibility together. But God is great enough to do that. Makes us love him more because he's greater than we are. Our, our hope is in God and God is telling us what he's going to do in his scheme of things, his plan, and he's making these promises and God's going to carry them out just like he did with the coming of Jesus. Hope is not only found in the plan of God, it's found in the promises of God. Just, just like the Old Testament top promises are being fulfilled in Jesus, and Jesus will come to this earth through Mary. God is giving his promises. And Let me give you the third thing here. Hope is found in the power of God. Verse 34, Mary asked the question, I think that every, is everybody's question, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think we all want to know how. How is this all going to work out? God, how are you going to get me out of this mess? God, how am I going to get there? You've called me to do this. God, I'm going through this and it looks like there is no hope. And we, we oftentimes ask the how question, don't we? God, how? I would say it's not wrong to ask the how question. Sometimes people say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong to question God. Now, if you're questioning his character, if you're impugning who he is, yes, it's wrong to question him in that sense. But to ask him how and to ask for wisdom and direction, that's what we should do. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God wants us to ask him. He invites us to ask him. As our kids are growing up, they ask a million questions. God made them to ask questions so they can learn and grow. Our curiosity is good, and when we can't see, it's good to ask God. God, how will this be? Now, it's interesting when you compare Mary and a little earlier John when he asked how will this be because his wife was beyond childbearing years and God sent an angel to tell him that they were going to have a baby, the impossible, just like it is for Mary in the, in the virgin birth. I'll let you go back and study the difference between the two questions that are asked by those two people. But for Mary and, and, and for us, as we think about, it's good to ask God. God made us to be curious, and God wants us to see how he's working. He wants to reveal that to us. And even our coming and our asking is part of him drawing us closer to himself. Mary knew that this was an impossibility. She, she had not been physically intimate. She was obviously not married, and she had not been intimate with the man, so... I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? And of course, we get God's answer. Follow along in verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. God's saying, I'm going to do something supernatural. 
It's not, it's not magical. It's not something that we look at and say that has to be a myth because we cannot explain that. This is a miracle from God. God has always done miracles, even from creation to put us here on. That was a miracle when he called creation into existence. He spoke it into, an, into existence. And all through history, we've seen God work outside of natural law because he's not bound by natural law. He is supernatural. It makes sense that a God who has existed for eternity acts outside of natural law. God did so to protect this child so that he would have perfection, the Holy Son of God. He would be deity, but he also allowed Mary to conceive in her womb by the Holy Spirit so that he would be human. He would be fully man as well. It's great theology here for us as we think about the virgin birth and what God was doing to to have an adequate, a sufficient sacrifice. God himself who would take our place. Perfection without blemish and yet a man like us who would die in our place. Perfection and yet propitiation who would satisfy the wrath of God. The virgin birth was necessary. One who was without blemish but who also was with blood. One who was uh, divine but also human. Nothing will be impossible with God. I, I, I love how he brings that a little further. And behold, not only is that miracle going to happen, but and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, never had children. And yet God in her old age, beyond her childbearing years, allowed her to conceive with her husband John. That's, that's miraculous, but nothing on par with the miracle of the virgin birth. But, but he's putting these two miracles together in some ways. And verse 37 gives us his, his conclusion, for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, that's our hope today. As we look around us, what hope do we have? Our, our hope is in God. It's not in the political world. It's, it's not in the financial world. It's not in the family. It's not in all the human ways and means that we tend to put our hope. It's in Christ alone. Christ alone meets our needs and allows us to live this day and make it to the next day. In Luke chapter 2, we get the actual event being described of Christ's coming. This is going to be our church family memory verse. And so I want us to say it together this morning. Now, notice how we do this responsively is a little bit different. I'm going to say a statement, then you're going to say a statement as the congregation, then we're all going to finish this out. So let's do this. And the angel said to them,
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God had a plan. He made promises as to how he would do it. And then he had the power to deliver. You see, this is it, the power of God. Our hope is found in the power of God. He gives us a confident, joy, expe- uh, joyful expectation that we can live day by day. There's a clear difference between hope and hopeless. I know you see that in the words themselves But think for a moment with me about this. Let's make some application here to what we've just talked about. Look back. Jesus came. He brought hope. Hope for sinners. That's that's why he came. We were lost. We were without hope. We were enemies of God. And Jesus came. The light came to shine in the darkness. And in the family of God, there's hope. There's hope on earth and in heaven because of Jesus' coming. Outside the family, there's no hope. It's hopeless. Things aren't going to turn out in any kind of way that you would have ever wanted or could have been at peace with. In the family, there's hope on earth and in heaven. Outside the family, there's no hope for where the future is going to be. I would say to you as well, In this idea of hope and hopeless, never give up when Jesus is in the equation. Always, always have hope. We live in an evil world. How do you have hope in an evil world? I like how one person put it, evil has an expiration date. When you have hope, all evil will pass away. All that is wrong will be made right. We have hope today not because human means will ever figure it out and one day we'll be good enough or we'll have enough education or we'll have enough money or we'll have uh, the right people in all the right offices. and None of that is going to bring hope and get rid of evil. Only when Jesus comes back will evil be expired Another way that Jesus enters the equation that changes it is ongoing chronic pain. Some of you have been hurting for years. Some of you, maybe not years, but you have ongoing physical problems. God may heal you now. I, I, I love having that hope and keep on praying. But ultimately, we know all pain will be done away with. There's hope in Christ Some of you have had ongoing battles and struggles with sinful desires. You wish that they would go away, but yet temptation is still present. Well, the hope is there that even now God will help us day by day. But one of the great things about heaven is there will be no more sinful desires. Even the temptation to do something wrong will be gone once Jesus comes back. I'll tell you, God is enough. For those of you who are struggling with different sins and desires in your life that you know God's not pleased with, I'll tell you, God is enough. The world will tell you, give in. You'll find peace and you'll find happiness. It never turns out like that. Fight it. Fight it. There's hope. 
There's hope even in, a, in the death of a loved one. Some of you have lost loved ones that you're still struggling about. Maybe even in this season, maybe they're close to death even now, but Jesus gives hope if they're saved. Heaven is real. Just this morning I was talking to someone who, loved, who lost a parent over this last week, and that was what they said. My mom, that, the lady said, my mom, she's a believer. I know that she's with the Lord. Heaven is real. Earth is needful. God, God put us here for a reason, but, but heaven is real. And even, even the struggles that we have of lost loved ones who are, who are outside of Christ now, have you ever thought, what's the use? They'll never change. They'll never give their lives to Christ. Or, or maybe someone you believe maybe is saved, but they've been straying, and you've thought, Man, I, I, I'm not, I don't think they'll ever get their lives Write or walk with God. Keep praying. Nothing. Underline that in your Bibles in verse 37. I, I circled the whole statement. In verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up on people. Never give up on, on what God's going to do and uh, bring about his purposes and his glory through whatever we may be going through. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you may face, hear this word from God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Hope is found in the power of God. This morning, I want you to have that assurance today. We talked as we studied through 1 John for weeks of the assurance of our salvation. God wants us to have assurance of our salvation that we're in the family of God. And this morning, if you don't know you're in the family of God, we'd love to talk with you after our service. You can, you can come and you can pray at the altar in this next song. You can surrender your life to Christ. We'll be in Guest Central. There'll be pastors available. We'd love to talk with you. But I also think there's a blessed assurance in knowing the presence of God always and that God has a plan that he's working out. And my hope is in Jesus and what he's working out, not in the world and how things appear. My hope is in Jesus and what he's working out and the power he has to bring all things about not in the people around me that will eventually get things right. The gift of hope. Jesus came, and with his coming, he brings hope. Pray with me. Father, we come before you in a hopeless world, and without Christ, there would be no hope. We know that. Thank you for this wonderful gift. You knew just what we needed. You knew that as we lived our lives here on earth, that we would be lied to by the enemy, that there is no hope. You knew that our own senses would betray us and, and tell us that there is no hope. And yet your word, we see your plan being worked out in the coming of Christ. We see your promises as they're, as they're uh, fulfilled and this morning, I pray that you would instill in the heart of every man and woman, every boy and girl, the power that you have, the hope that they can place in you 
that you're going to bring about your purposes, your glory, no matter what we go through, no matter what we may face. Lord, let your people be people of hope, living with hope, taking your hope to a hopeless world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.